0: Lectureship 1978, Friday, February 10, 8.30 a.m. The Restoration Plea, a clarion call for the old path, G.K. Wallace. Thank you, Brother Woodson. You have been very kind, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that has been mine during the past several days to participate in these programs. And I look back over 39 years... That's a long time. There've been good years, and I'm sure that this work will continue in the greatest way that it ever has. Brother Woodson, I commend you and your committee in the direction of this lecture program, Freed-Hardeman College is a haven or a hammock for Christian families over the land that are striving to rear their children in a good way. They're basic people. They're conservative people. And this school is a place where they can find a haven. And as long as it is, Great crowds will come, continue to come, and will multiply. But if we turn away, it could become a place that's lonely and dark. The history about us will indicate what I'm saying, And I'm glad for that direction it provides, as I said, a hammock. Sometimes when you're down in Florida and driving through the Everglades, especially down in the great Everglade National Park, you will see, and there may be in some places ways by which you can get out upon what the Indians called a hammock the Seminole Indians were never defeated by our government even old hickory couldn't drive them out of the swamps in their desperation they fled to these places in the Everglades where they found refuge and safety brethren I don't mean to sound as an alarmist, but we're living in a confused world. And our families, we had a great speech yesterday morning about parents and last night. Our Christian families are looking this way to find a hammock their sons and their daughters. And when you as a young man and you'll be called upon to serve, remember the heritage and above all remember the old past. Today the topic assigned is a call to the old past. What I want to say will not be the typical sermon about returning to the old past. It may be totally unrelated to the article that's in the book. But nevertheless, I feel that I would like to say it. Last evening, this morning early when Some of you, perhaps, were asleep. I sat down and I said to myself, what should I say to young preachers? What would be appropriate and good? And this was the conclusion. First, I want to call us back to the paths Of righteousness. When Jesus came into this world, he lived and served, and I hear Peter saying, For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Take the Gospels. Read about Christ. Take up the book of Acts and the epistles, the revelations of the teachings and the conduct of Jesus. He not only taught us how to live, he showed us how to live. And the last verse in that great chapter in the First Peter, division 2, says, For ye were going astray like sheep, but are now returned. And we're calling back. You're now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Note just above what he said about Christ He did no sin. There was no guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Return to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. When I began to preach... It was easy. People believed the Bible. There was not a question about morality. Standards were high. The denominational world would call people to righteousness, to live honorably, and a man whose conduct was not proper was segregated. I believe in segregation, religiously, not racially. That's the only kind of segregation God ever had. When God <clears throat> called out Abraham, he was segregating him for religious purpose. He said, I want your child, grandchild, great-grandchild to be the Savior, and I'm building a fence around you. And when Christ was born, he said, the only kind of segregation I want is that you come out from among them and be ye separate. That's the ways of the world. And you're going to find it difficult to call upon people to come out from the world. Peter says in Division two of Second Peter that God spared not angels, that's messengers, when they sinned but cast them down. And he says and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, having made them an example unto those who would live ungodly. If you believe that the conduct of what they call the homosexual And I blush to use the terms in the pulpit, but they're household words. Look at Sodom. Sodom is a monument to such filth. They are being ordained as preachers in respectable churches. If you're keeping up with what's going on in the denominational world, they're saying you go and occupy our pulpits. There are churches that are made up of such, you'll face it. You'll find it in the church <clears throat> that when parents will apologize and defend <clears throat> their own children in such conduct. In the Roman letter, I read where Paul discusses some of these problems and I hear him saying, Wherefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts unto uncleanness. God gave them up unto vile passions for their women. Now, can you imagine the women today going to the level of the heathen, no one in the days of my youth, no church, would smile upon such conduct. Fair women changed the natural use into that which was against nature, and likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men. You say, well, that's my lifestyle. Repentance requires you change it. That's what repentance is. You don't have any right to such a style. Now, you might have a legal right, but you don't have a moral right. And the courts of the land cannot establish morality. And then I read the last verse. And knowing the ordinances of God, they that practice such things are worthy of death. That's the folks who make step to watch not only do the same, but also consent with them. You know, God said, if I give my blessings to them, that he'll hold me as responsible as those involved in the conduct. Now, if that sounds a little bit grim, May I suggest something else that might make the picture a little darker? To help you to realize why we need an oasis, a hammock, and a place where preachers and teachers walk in the classroom with the Bible and say, this is the Word of God. Here is the standard of morality. Here are the principles of right. You've heard in the last number of years, read about, and some of you have maybe a personal acquaintance with the direction of what they call sex education in schools, and some of those classes are nothing but to teach young people how to fornicate. Get your Memphis paper today. The Commercial Appeal, Memphis, Tennessee. Today, the Appellate Court of New Mexico. Now, I'm not going to read the language of this article. You can get it and get out somewhere and read it. Paul said there are some things that are shame to speak of. But here's what it amounts to. It's a 23-year-old woman. With a conduct with a fifteen-year-old boy, lascivious, in violation of the moral code of God, the court ruled. That's proper sex education. Now that's the court. That's the appellate court that that's the way to teach sex education. That it's education essential and necessary. This conduct does not violate the mores of the 20th century. It's a recognized moral, con- normal conduct in the development of a human beings you have any problems when you were going to school, trying to catch on to some things? Well, I did. I took some chemistry courses, and when we got past the first year, it got a little bit difficult for me, and they stayed that way. The teacher would come in the class, would lecture. I used to listen to Brother Paul Witt. He's dead now, one of the great teachers. And he would get up there and talk about uh, the atom. I didn't know what on earth he was talking about. and didn't even catch on until they developed the atomic bomb. But he knew what he was talking about. But you know what I found out? If I couldn't catch on from the lecture, I could go in the laboratory. Make an experiment become clear. Now here's what they're saying. we have teach you an immoral conduct. We'll provide a teacher to show you. Now if you don't think you you have problems you're not aware of the moral condition of this nation. This nation is rotting down fast. If you're going to have to make a restoration plea like you never made before, when men like Alexander Camel, without the preach they had no battle like that. That was not a fight. Every man knew the principle of morality was held high in our government. The horizon is not bright. That's a return the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Make a plea for righteousness. Call people to a life of holiness. The churches, elders of the church, should encourage you and help you and hold up your hand. And schools like this. Or, but a haven where your boy or girl or son or daughter can get an education in an environment with teachers who love the Bible and are not ashamed of it. Secondly, I want to make a plea for not only for the Morality, I want to make a plea for the reverence and devotion of the apostolic church in worshiping God. The Bible teaches us what to do. There are the acts of worship. I read an article the other day. Somebody laughing and making fun of the acts of worship. Well, you're going to have to do something when you come to worship. What are you going to do? You mean to say Jesus died and went back to heaven and left no instructions? He gave us instructions. And he told us to do all things decently and in order; some services are bitlem don't have regard for the worship along November. I was out in Texas with the congregation came in at nine or into the auditorium, rather, at uh, 10.30 for the worship period. I thought, well, I'm late. They were in there, all of them, singing. He said, well, nothing wrong with that. No, there wasn't anything wrong with body singing. But I hate to be late. In a little while, one of the brethren got up and said, now we will start our worship. I wonder what on earth you've been doing. What you been doing? You know what they thought a song was a bell. They were not praising God. They were trying to get a bunch of children never been taught anything to get quiet. How about taking the Lord's supper to get them quiet? Won't you do like the holiness? Jump over over here and. Get in the corner, start praying, throwing your hands as loud as you can. How did we ever decide that song service was designed as a bell? Act of worship should be regarded with as much sacredness as your prayers. And today, we're allowing emotionalism to control. Sometimes services are oriented by the rock pistols and not Christ. Now, you get a New Testament to see if you can find where the early church carried on. And in order to placate some of this, we have what we call youth services. Go back and pick up the history of the Christian church and see when their apostasy set in. They move from instrumental music to segregation of a boy or girl. Let me tell you, Mother, if a boy's old enough or a girl's old enough to worship God, he's old enough to sit down around the Lord's table and break bread with his mother and father. That's what the Lord suffers for, us to get God's family together. It was designed. Bring them together. We talk about a generation gap. We're creating it. Get your New Testament. You say, "Well, we just can't get them all in." Well, maybe you better not have a congregation that big. And sometimes the idea of bigness has caused us to forget the direction of real work. Out here in the West, some time back I was in a meeting, they were talking to me about a church that had a thousand in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. It was a charade. They got a bus went over there and said, you sent all your young'uns over here today. And they hauled them over there. I said, look what we did. They went back, you're right where you were. Brother Woodson, what's the enrollment, Freed Hardman?" About 13, 1,300? No, no, it's to three thousand. I saw three thousand here last night. Maybe ten. Three thousand. Three. Freed Hardeman has over three thousand enrolled this year. You see, we have a big Sunday school. Reminds me of the charade of Billy Graham. Billy Graham won't go into communion hold a meeting until he knows he has enough busloads to fill that place every night. And that's not all that's involved. You watch him on TV respond, and he readmitted this in his writing. When you see a thousand people respond, or two thousand, a thousand of them are workers, and they come every night You watch him. When the song starts, they start moving. He's acting like he's going to respond. He's pretending. He'll move out real slowly and see if he can lead this fellow off. So when they get down there, these folks will go back to their seat and come back tomorrow night. I call it plain old hypocrisy. It's a charade! Now, brethren, we don't need that. And the apostles didn't engage in it. We ought to be standing for the old pass. There's one other thing to which I want to call your attention. I want to beg you to come back to the old past. Of salvation by grace through faith. Years ago, I preached in the meeting, several meetings out in Oklahoma. In those days, they'd have meetings that would run for two weeks. So they Next year, got a brother to come. You'd know him if I were to mention him. That wouldn't add anything to our service. And the end of the first week, they said, here's your check, you go home. He said, what's the matter? They said, we don't know what you're saying, but the Baptists say that that's exactly what they believe. He talks order and like Daniel in the book of Revelation, in such a way that the Baptist knew what he was saying, the brethren didn't. I hear people saying today, we let the Baptist take the doctrine of salvation by grace. Listen, brethren, the Baptists don't even believe in salvation by grace. They don't even approximate and talk about it. I know they talk about it and preach about it. You know what grace is? Grace is favor. They're not saved by favor. They're saved by force. God will save you, and you can't help it. It's force. That's the doctrine of Calvinism. What forces you you take the great book of Romans, as you study the grace of God, you come to chapter three, our chapter three. Paul talks about the law of works and a law of faith. He calls the Mosaic law a law of works, and he calls the Christian age a dispensation of grace. But grace has to be uh, conditional. If it isn't conditional for your salvation, it's force and not grace. And then. He says now to him that worketh the reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of a debt. Because I obey God doesn't mean I earn salvation. If I obey the gospel doesn't mean God owes me. If you owe me something, it's mine. And you're not giving me anything; it belongs to me. And if I work for it, it's mine. Now, but you say, that passage outlaws being baptized. mm mm-hmm. Let's look at it. If by grace the reward is not reckoned as of grace but as of a debt, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, that faith is reckoned for righteousness, if that refers to baptism, it would rule out baptism for any purpose, whether for the remission of sins or whatever you call it. Now, if you're going to be baptized, there has to be some design And be a fool to be baptized out some design. Take any design you want to. If that rules out baptism, it rules it out on any design that you pick. Just pick either one you want to, but it doesn't rule out baptism. The grace of God includes being baptized. In the Ephesian letter, by grace... Were you saved? That refers to what took place. You were saved by grace through faith. You were saved. Go back and see what the Ephesian people did when Paul came to them. He talked to them about the Holy Spirit. They said they didn't know about it, said under what then were you baptized? And they said under John's baptism. And there's the apostrophe and asked, it was his, it wasn't the Lord's baptism. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And baptism in the name of Christ is for the remission of sins. The people at Ephesus were baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. And Paul wrote to them and said, that's salvation by grace through faith. Why were you baptized? You say, well, I was baptized to show I was a Christian. How would you get that idea? How you ever decide that you were supposed to be baptized to show you were saved? Sometimes... We'll call our attention to the first chapter of the book of John, where Jesus was baptized to show that he was the Son of God, not a, but the Son of God. John the Baptist was told when you start baptizing, and somebody will come to be baptized, and When he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. This is he of whom I said. And John said, when I saw this, that showed me that he was the Son of God. His baptism didn't show he was the Son of God. It was the coming of the Holy Ghost upon him. Now, let me ask you. You say, I was baptized to show I was saved. To whom did it show it? Did it show it uh, to the Lord? He knew it. When you were baptized to show you were saved, did it show it uh, to God? No, he knew it. Did it show it to the Holy Ghost? No, he knew it. Well, to whom did it show you were saved? Did it show it to the preacher? No, he examined me before I was baptized and certified that I was saved. Well, if you were baptized to show you were saved, to whom did it show it? God knew it, Christ knew it, the Holy Ghost knew it, and the preacher knew it. Did you show it to the church? No, the church knew it because they voted on you that you were saved before you was baptized. Now, who did you show you were saved? Did you show it to the devil? He lost you if you were saved. He knew it. And we talk about grace of God. Let me tell you, baptism is a part of the grace of God or the grace of the devil. By whose grace were you baptized? And when you take that great chapter there in Romans, discussion of that, about Abraham, Abraham was not a child of God by faith, but by birth. And he'd already built an altar. He'd been out working. That as reference to his conduct as a child of God, already so saved. When these Calvinists read Mark 16, go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Here's what they're saying. Preach the gospel to every creature. He that is saved and is baptized can go to heaven when he dies. And they'll be translating that believeth saved before long. Because that's what they believe. Remember this, young men. They don't even use faith like you use it. They don't use grace like you use it. Grace to them the doctrine of Calvinism that God in some mysterious way imputes salvation to you. They have two faiths what they call an inner and an outer. When you preach the Bible and read it they say that is an outer faith. But then in some mysterious way the grace of God slips up and puts a hood on you they call saving faith, the inner faith. They're not talking about the book of Romans. And we're going to have to clarify these matters with our youth. Let's return to the principles of righteousness. I mean by that let's keep the call clear, patiently, earnestly. Let's not allow the sex pistols to orient the decorum of the Church. Let's preach the grace of God as it's revealed in the book of Acts. If you want to know what salvation by grace through faith is, look at the conversion of the eunuch. Look at the conversion of Saul, of Cornelius, and the people on Pentecost. When Peter preached, they were pricked in their hearts and cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were believers in God before he preached their believers in Christ. Now, these believers in God, in Christ, were told to repent he and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you. Let me tell you, Billy Graham never preaches that passage. He hasn't found it. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, unto the remission of sins, That's salvation by grace through faith. And any other interpretation of it is rank Calvinism. Let's return to the simple gospel of Christ. And Jesus sent out his disciples and said, go teach, teach, conversion's not a convulsion. It's a sane act. Go teach, all nations. Teach. Teach. Keep teaching. Teach the Bible. Call people back to righteousness, to holiness, and to worship in the kingdom of God is my prayer. Thank you, Brother Woodson. What do you say? What a splendid, splendid discussion, and I think we've seen the love of this man for God and for the Church, and our hearts are better because of what we have heard this day.